And here's what it says in Romans 8, 22 to 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's get into Romans. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, a life of hope. So here is uh, the, the sermon in a nutshell this morning, a life of hope. We've got two sections we're going to look at in Romans 8, uh, verses 18 through 30. The first section is verses 18 through 25, a life of hope even though we groan, a life of hope even though we groan, and then finally in verses 26 through 30, a life of hope is life in God. So we'll look at these two uh, sections uh, in turn. Let me read the first section, at least Romans 18, 8, 18 uh, through 22 or 23, kind of bring us up to where we were uh, from the prior scripture reading. Here's what it says. I'm beginning in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, look at Romans 8, 18. I consider that the present sufferings of the... I, let me read correctly. English isn't my first language. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We love that verse because of why? Glory. We love glory. Not what the verse is about. Read it again. I consider that the sufferings of this present time sufferings of this present time. What characterizes present time in this verse? Sufferings. So that is the reality the Bible is presenting to us is a life of hope that in some ways feels contradictory because the present time is characterized by, to some degree or another, sufferings. The future time is characterized by what? Glory. And what we need to recognize, a life of hope is not a life absent suffering. In fact, the Bible is going to present a life of hope as being in God, in and amongst suffering. So a life of hope, even though we groan. Uh, a well-known author, C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you've heard of him, wrote one of his more well-known books. Uh, it's called The Problem of Pain. If you haven't read it, you ought to. Uh, and you can probably find it free on Google. Uh, if not, go to your library and check it out if you can't afford it. If not, buy it. Problem of pain, C.S. Lewis says this when thinking about the, the main issue ha we have with pain. When you're suffering, what's the, one of the main questions we ask, especially as it's related uh, to our relationship with God? That question is, why? Right? And so C.S. Lewis addresses this question in his thinking, and I think it's very helpful, if not comforting. The real problem, he said, says, is this. It's not why, 
some pious, humble, believing people suffer. But actually, the problem is why some do not. Uh, that kind of reorients it a little bit. He's, he's saying, the question is, why do we suffer? The, quiet, the question is, why does it seem like some people don't? That's actually, to him, the larger question when he looks at the world. world. He later observes, a little bit later in this passage that he is covering in his book, he observes this, God is always speaking to us through the circumstances of our life, and we may pay attention to this, that through the pleasures and delights of our life, God whispers. But through the suffering and pains of our life, he shouts. Because think about it in your life. When are those times where you heard God most clearly? Was it when you were sitting on the beach with a beverage in your hand? Maybe. It, that might have been a profound moment of delight in God's great blessing. But I imagine it might have been uh, crying in a waiting room of a hospital or waiting for results or... Uh, wondering what the future held financially. It's in those moments God shouts, and we find sometimes those are the most profound times of spiritual growth in our life. So we have a life of hope even though we groan. Suffering reminds us of our hope because suffering always comes before glory, according to this verse. Suffering reminds us of our hope Suffering always comes before glory. The suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Present time, present tense. Is to be revealed, future tense. Suffering today reminds us of our hope because suffering comes uh, before glory. So look what happened. Creation waits with longing, this is verse 19, uh, for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation was subjected to futility. What happened is we rebelled against God in sin and it ruined the universe. And so now creation and our own lives groan under the weight of the curse of sin. So this present time, we experience suffering because of what sin has done to the created order as well as to our relationship with God. But in the future time, glory will be revealed when things are remade and the sons and daughters of God are revealed for who they are in Christ. So the curse of sin brings futility, bondage, and corruption. Look at verse 20. Creation was subjected to futility, bondage, and corruption there in verse 21. What is futility? Have you ever done something to the best of your ability that didn't work very well? It's gardening season. You're about to experience this a lot. You're going to plant in the same garden two tomato plants. You're going to water them the same and fertilize them the same. One is going to produce so many tomatoes, you're going to bring them here on Sundays and hope people will take them, right? The other one will wither and die and taunt you. And it will, you'll wake up at night. What is wrong with that stupid plant? That's futility. It's your best effort. Sometimes you will invest time and energy into something and it won't work right. Another word for that is toil. That is when we work hard, we are diligent, we are responsible, and the thing still isn't the way it ought to be. Do you know anybody who's a good parent? <laughs> we all just insulted one another. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Think about it. You want to talk about futility and toil. I know really good parents, nobody in this room and nobody who goes to this church, I'll say it that way, who have terrible kids. Now, I'm just saying what we're all thinking. I know really good parents, you're like, what happened? 
Like, there must be something going on at home, because these are great parents, and their kids are, well, you know, that's why you have a criminal justice system. (laughs) Then you have other parents that you go, do you understand you have children? Like, did you realize that you brought forth offspring? And these kids are like Nobel Prize winners, and they're amazing, right? So why does that happen? That's toil. Sometimes we put our best effort into something, even parenting, even our work, even our marriage, even our garden, and it doesn't work right. And that's the toil of living in a sin-ruined world. There's uh, an impredictability to it. It's under corruption. Things break down over time. No matter how well you maintain your home or your car at a certain point, it's going to finally just not work right. That is the corruption of the created order. The hope is that one day freedom will be experienced when the glory of God is revealed in His children. When we experience that glory that is to come, but suffering always precedes glory. So we experience hope in suffering because we say, oh, we're suffering? Oh, that's perfect. Because we know what comes before glory is suffering. So we're right on time. Everything's on schedule. Look at what Jesus says over in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 3. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. If you would like to go to the Mount of Olives, you can come to the information meeting. (laughs) We will go there. It is fun. As Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Oh, now we're interested. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Listen, you guys have bought 20 books with that question trying to be answered, right? When's it coming? The great late planet Earth or whatever it was called. Jesus answered, See that no one leads you astray. So they asked a question that was legitimate, and he let them know, be careful, your desire for that, an answer to that question, leads you astray. Not the, the desire for what the sign is, but the fact is you tend to look for the wrong sign. Many will come saying, I'm the Christ. They will lead many astray. You will hear of wars. You will hear of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. This must take place. The end is not yet. So what's one of the signs of the end? Wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Are these things happening? All right, good. We're right on time. There will be famines. We got any famines going on? Not here, but we got it somewhere. There's always some place under a famine. There will be earthquakes in various places. Any earthquakes going on? Well, yeah, Mount Hood just had like a swarm of earthquakes. I think it was last week. It's not going to blow up, although it would be cool if it did, but it's not going to blow up. All these things are but the beginning of what? Birth pains, which is real similar to what Paul says over in Romans chapter 8. So what are the signs of the coming of the age? What are the signs Jesus is on his ways? Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pandemics. I threw that one in there, but I think it fits. What are all these things? Suffering. Suffering comes before glory. So why did he tell us not to be led astray? What's the answer we want? Oh, don't worry about it. When you follow Jesus, you're going to have, I'm going to say it, your best life now. Okay? You're going to experience prosperity like, like you've never had. Those who follow Jesus are wealthy. 
Those who follow Jesus don't get sick. Those who follow Jesus have big businesses. Those who follow Jesus, their kids always obey. That's what Jesus promises. And if, if you're not getting these things, then you must be missing something. You need to, you need to exercise more hope. And one of the ways you can do that is by sending money to me, is what the, the teacher will say. Don't be led astray, because that's what we hunger for in the midst of suffering. Tell me, right? The, the experience of the coming glory is experienced by a little bit of glory today. And Jesus says, don't be led astray. Suffering comes first. There will be wars, rumors of wars, famines, conflicts. If you find yourself out of food in the middle of a war, praise the Lord, glory is coming. It's right on time. We don't want to hear that. But a life of hope is, is in Christ even though we groan because in that groaning we discover we anticipate the glory that is to come. Everything is happening just as Jesus uh, said he would. Let's look, look again at verses 23, 25, back in Romans chapter 8. We not, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what do we anticipate? What is the hope that we anticipate is our adoption, that full and final experience of being adopted into sonship, uh, into the family of God, and the redemption of our bodies. What this means is finally we will be remade into the uh, full conformity to what Christ is like. And it also means it isn't here yet. We can't see what's coming, but we wait in hopeful, patient endurance. What does that resurrection look like? We have to turn to another passage over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think it will be up on the screen, if not, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two. The Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes for us a little bit what the resurrection will be like. So, it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So, your resurrected body will be imperishable. Your current body breaks down sometimes. As you get older, it tends to be more susceptible to injury. Injuries heal slower. Or they don't heal at all. You get illnesses that you wouldn't otherwise get when you were younger. Turns out when you get older, you get to pay the bill for the bad habits you had when you were younger. But when we are raised, our body will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Our bodies today are in some ways carrying the dishonor of our sin-stained nature. But it will be raised in glory. Our current bodies are sown in weakness. They will be raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So our raised bodies will be bodies of glory. Imperishable, powerful, and spiritual. Skip down to verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be on, uh, must put on the imperishable. The mortal body must put on immortality. 
when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, uh, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our hope is the resurrection of our bodies into glory in Jesus forever. That is our hope. Our hope is a a glorified existence with Christ forever in the imperishable. There's a common occurrence when you buy a kid a Christmas present or a birthday present, especially a younger child, you will buy them the present they wanted, maybe an RC car, maybe the doll they wanted, and they will open it up and then promptly play with the box for the rest of the day. Ever seen this happen? You buy them the thing, it's like a $200 toy, and the kid is sitting in the box for the rest of the day. And you think, I could have got a box for free out of my neighbor's recycle bin. But instead, I have a 200, dads, you know what you do. You play with the toy. That's what you do, a $200 RC car. I'm going to play with it and break it. That's what I do. Well, this is the thing. When we put our hope in the perishable, when our hope is, I hope my life is going better next week or next year, I'm playing with the box. There's no glory in that. The glory is after this time of suffering, being raised into the imperishable. That's the gift of God. When we think short term, I want my blessed life now, then what we've decided, God, I want this life to be the best it could possibly be. When what we should actually want, thinking long term, how do I make that life the best it could possibly be? How do I uh, maximize the glory that will be experienced in Christ on that day? And the answer is patient endurance through the suffering of today. That, that what it means to have hope in the glory of God to come is to say, okay, what does, what's, it, what's it going to take in Christ by His Spirit to endure patiently through the suffering that life offers us today? Because resurrection is our hope, and that is the glory of Christ forever. Uh, many of us, because I, now I'm looking around, it looks like most of you who are here, I can't see if you're on live stream. Uh, most of you, I, I think, are kind of church people. You look respectable. I mean, I'm saying 90% kidding you know who you are um, Christianity is weird we have to understand and I have to say this because some of us have been church people a long time and we don't recognize how weird it is we believe we rise from the dead like you understand for the secular humanist that's weird that is our hope if there is no resurrection according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 We are of people on earth the most to be pitied. Why would he say that? Why would he say if there's no resurrection, we are the most to be pitied? Because you can do better in life than the Christian life. Because the Christian life doesn't merely seek to avoid suffering. We actually say, what is it it like to experience suffering patiently knowing that one day I will experience glory? And the only reason any person would do that who's rational is if they actually believe one day they will be raised from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is our hope. 
Because in Christ we will be raised one day and then all sense will be made of suffering today. If there's no resurrection of the dead, this whole thing makes absolutely no sense. I'm telling you, you shouldn't have got up early on a Sunday. Let's move on to the second part. I'm running out of time already. She second service shows up at... We get here early. They're weird that way. All right. One groan among many. I don't know if you struggle with this. I know I do, and uh, I'll just say that, but I know you guys are first service kind of people, so you don't. One groan we might struggle with uh, is the inward frustration. One writer put it this way, an inward frustration at both moral and physical infirmaries. So obviously we get frustrated at physical infirmaries, a sore ankle, a busted knee, a cancer, a, a, all kinds of ailments, COVID-19, whatever it might be. So we have the, certainly groaning from the physical infirmaries. But one of the other primary groans we experience is the fact that we still sin. And I'm not talking about sin you stumbled into. Some of you stumbled into sin. Of course, we all know you're lying. Um, You also struggle with, maybe maybe I can put it two ways. Number one, you have sin that you actually don't struggle with. and, And you're doing a really good job of convincing yourself it's not that bad. Right? So there's that, but under there's still sort of a low grade shame related to it. The other one is sin you know is bad, but you just can't seem to kick it. Yeah, yeah, whatever it might be, uh, you, you've got to, you know, man, I, I shouldn't be this way, whether it be a temper, whether it be uh, a chemical addiction or whatever it might be. Say, I, this shouldn't be a reality in my life, and I know it's wrong. I'm not trying to say it's wrong. It's right. I know it's wrong, but I just can't seem to deal with it. That's a part of the groan. That's a part of the groan saying, why can't I get it? And then the other groaning that comes from that is, what kind of person am I that this is a reality in my life? You ever had that thought? It's like, what kind of, or worse yet, what kind of a Christian am I? What kind of a Christian struggles with it? I don't know anybody else who struggles with this, which is the main problem. You need to get to know some people, because they do. And this is one of the groans. One of the joys of, our glory, of the glory of our raised status in the future will be this. All of the desires of our heart, all of the time, will be good. All of them will be good, all of the time, and they will be profoundly satisfying. There will be none of this today, like we struggle with today. I, I wish this was okay, because it seems like it ought to be good, and then we, when we engage in that activity, we discover it's not satisfying at all. But this is one of the joys of resurrection, is everything we desire will be good and right and bring, glorify, bring glory to God, and it will be profoundly satisfying. That will be one of the greatest things about glory. A life of hope, even though we groan. What comes before glory? Suffering. How often? You weren't listening. We've got to do the whole thing again. Always. Suffering proceeds glory. That's the pattern of the Christian life. And always to some degree or another, but if you're suffering, if you're experiencing physical infirmaries, if you're experiencing struggle with sin, if you're experiencing people who annoy you, if you're experiencing the fact that you do stuff and it doesn't work right, welcome to the party. That is precedes glory. We might be tempted to think that in the midst of suffering, we have to be strong, stiff upper lip, resilient, but that's actually not the answer to this, is being super awesome, tough person. The job is actually to put our hope in God when we recognize our weakness in suffering. So let's look at verses 26 through 30 back in Romans chapter 8. 
I'm going to read it because we haven't read it yet. This is Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 26. I don't know if it'll be on the screen or not. If it's not, you can just listen or follow along in your, your Bible. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what uh, we ought to pray for. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is uh, the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, if you're lost. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So a life of hope, even though we've grown, and finally a life of hope is life in God. Back in 2017, two women decided to sail from Hawaii to Tahiti. Uh, They had a sailboat. The boat was powered. Uh, They were going to try and make most of their journey on wind power, but they had an engine in the event that the wind wasn't to their favor. not too far from Hawaii, their boat, boat was uh, really damaged, a little bit of a, a storm that they encountered. I mean, and everything that could go wrong went wrong. The sails were damaged, the, the engine wouldn't work anymore. Uh, so they were left adrift in the open sea for five months. That's a long time. Two uh, ladies and a dog in a boat in the open sea, 2017. Five, five months later, uh, a fishing vessel saw their, uh, their boat, radioed into uh, the Coast Guard in Hawaii and gave them the boat information. They knew who it was because they were on, had been searching for them at one point. And, uh, and a military, a U.S. military ship that was on patrol in the area went out and, and got them. They were saved. Five months, open sea, with a dog. I don't get that. I'm not a dog person, so I'll leave it at that. They're running out of food because they were keeping the dog alive. Okay, I'm not judging. <laughs> Because I know there's probably a bunch of dog people in there, and you're like, no, that's the right thing to do. Okay, that's cool. Whatever. You do you. All right. That thing looked, started looking tasty after about two months for me. <laughs> Here's the thing. At a certain point in the open sea, their hope is no longer in their ability to sail. Their hope is no longer in their ability to get their ship running. Their hope is no longer in anything except somebody needs to rescue us. That is their only hope. And actually, that is a great image of what it means to be a believer. We are those who came to the final realization, y'all, I don't have any hope in me. I can't figure it out. I can't do it. My hope has to be in someone rescuing me. In weakness. Look in verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our awesomeness. That's what we want. We want the Spirit to show up for awesome Christians because then if the Spirit's doing His thing, it means that, what does that mean? I'm awesome. The Spirit helps who? Let me translate it. Lamos. People who need to get rescued. They went out into the open sea with a non-working sailboat. In weakness, our hope is in God because His ways are good. Our ways are not good. His ways are reliable. Our ways are not reliable. So how do we hope in God? We recognize we are weak. We recognize in our groaning we are frail. We recognize that our hope is in the Spirit getting us through this because without Him, we're toast. It's a recognition of weakness. A life of hope is a life in God where we admit and own and agree if if the Spirit doesn't show up, I'm not going to make it. The Spirit 
in our weakness, verses 26 and 27 of Romans 8. What does the Spirit provide us strength to do? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. If a life of hope is a life in God, that means a life in God is a life of dependency on God and His Spirit and the primary means by which we demonstrate we're lame is prayer. This is what's funny about Christian life. This is weird. I always thought praying Christians were awesome. Wow, you, that person prays a lot. We use the term, and I love the term, don't get me wrong, a prayer warrior. That means someone who is awesome at praying. Then I read my Bible and discover what about people who pray a lot. They just realize how lame they are. The kinds of people who pray are the p- kinds of people who realize their boat's not going anywhere. But somehow we became convinced the kinds of people who pray are the people who have their act together. Tell me, when are the times in your life where you prayed the most? Was it when you had your act together? Not if your prayer life is like mine. It's when I finally realized, oh my lands, I have no idea what I'm doing. I need to pray. And then, of course, God shows up when we we come in. This is what we imagine. I don't know why we do this. So we finally realize that we're not as awesome as we think. So we come slinking into God with our tail between our legs. Lord, I'm so sorry. And this is what we imagine the Holy Spirit is doing. He's like this. Okay, what do we got? Don't you, don't you picture God doing this? Like, okay, what have we got? But what does the Bible actually say? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So actually in that moment when we come sleeking into God, finally realizing we're not as awesome as we thought we were, that, I don't know how to say this theologically accurate, so I'll just say it wrong. That is when the Spirit is most profoundly powerful. He's like, oh, you finally realize you've got nothing to offer. Oh, good. Now I can do some stuff. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You've prayed this kind of prayer before. If you have kids, you've prayed it several times this week. It's a prayer that goes something like this. Oh, I don't know what to do. And that's all you got. Because if you say anything else, you'll start doing ugly crying, like snot and everything coming out. And so you just, like, just kind of moan. And then you think, well, that's not a prayer, is that? I'm going to come up, maybe I'll read a psalm and get some flowery words. But no, it says, the Spirit intercedes. Spirit goes, don't worry about it, I got it. I've got words you don't have, and I'm going to go there with these words. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf, giving us the power we need to rest in God with our hope, even during times of profound uh, suffering. Prayer is a fundamental act of hope in suffering. Prayer is not something we do so that we might have hope. Prayer is a fundamental act of the person who is hopeful. That's why you have to read, a, a hope isn't an emotion per se. Hope is a, an action where I say, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I have no idea how, to, how I'm going to make it, how I'm going to endure this. So I'm going to seek the Lord in prayer that is fundamentally an act of hope that says, Suffering is my reality now. I know glory is coming, and I need God's help to get there, and so I'm going to seek Him in prayer. And I know I don't have the strength to do it, so the Spirit is going to intercede on my behalf. Look at verse 28. You have this cross-stitched on a pillow. You know, I say that. That's so old-fashioned. You have this tattooed on your left calf. Is that more... We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. Remember when Jesus said, be aware, pay attention, be on guard. He was saying, be warned of people who tear this verse out of its context and tell you, if you're following Jesus, everything will go awesome for you. This is our good luck charm verse. Rub this verse six times before you go to a job interview. Because it'll work for your good. It will work for your good. And your best good is God's will. And there's always a catch, isn't there, in the Bible? Yeah, okay, well, what? just once, why can't God's will be what I want? Because you don't know what's good. You'll play with the cardboard box. That's what we do. We don't understand what actually is, is good. Future glory is the best thing. So God is going to work according to his purpose. It doesn't mean our suffering stops. It means we know even in the midst of the realities of a broken world, God's purpose can be done in us by the power of his spirit. It also means he has the power to get us from this day of difficulty and weakness to a day of glory. He is the one who will get us there. Everything will be used by God for His glory and for our good. And the best good that God can give to us is our greatest glory on the day of that glory. That's the, the greatest thing God can give to us. If God gave you what you wanted, and then you got to that day and had less glory, you would be very annoyed with God. And you would be right to be annoyed with God because you would discover He gave you not that which is good, He gave you that which is second best. But what God promised to do is whatever uh, needs to be done in our life today to bring him and us the greatest glory we can have in Christ on that day. All right, verse 29 and 30, and then we're going to wrap it up. For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, those whom he justified, he glorified. How did you become a Christian? God took the initiative to draw you into himself. Certainly you put faith in him. Certainly he brought you to the place where you had to, in your heart, trust him. The reason you got saved is because God made the move first. What keeps you a Christian? Because God keeps you a Christian. What will make sure that one day you will experience the glory of, glory of Christ? Is because God will make sure you get to that day. Everything is dependent on God. And what does he want to happen in our life? It's this, middle of verse 29. He foreknew, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. What he wants is for us in this time of suffering to be made more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's our hope. Our hope is a life in God being shaped by the brokenness of this world and even of our own lives by the Spirit to be made more like Jesus. Our salvation, our Christian life, and our future glory in God is all a work of God on our behalf. Our job is to trust Him and walk with Him in it. What is the goal of God's work? Made like Jesus and someday experience His glory. I have a whole bunch of other stuff. We're going to skip it. We're going to save it for next week. Let me give you three things before we uh, move into communion. Is that okay? Three little things. I always like to end with something that's really irritating. The, well, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating. In a sin-ruined world, suffering precedes glory. We need to understand that, that equation. Do you want glory? There's only one path. And where does the path go? It's through suffering. 
Now, everybody experiences suffering to a different degree. Certainly, we experience a certain kind of suffering in our lives as individuals, in our lives in a culture that we live in, and others in other places experience different kinds of suffering. It's not really a comparison thing. All we know is in this life, we will experience suffering, and suffering always precedes glory. We just want to reverse that so bad. We just want the glory now. Our glory is when our salvation is finally uh, fully realized in the last days. And so what hope is today in suffering is patient endurance until that day. And that patient endurance is possible by the power of the Spirit. So uh, I just want to keep that, that equation from you. What comes before glory? Suffering. And we're not in glory yet. Okay, next uh, little thing. Keep going on. Goal of endurance is to be made like Jesus. The goal of enduring through suffering is to become more like Christ. That's the goal of verse 29, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the goal. The goal is through suffering, through patient endurance by the power of the Spirit, to be made more like Christ. And one of the primary means, at least in this passage, that that is accomplished is prayerful dependence on the Spirit. So a couple of things you might pray when you're going through suffering, which for me is only weekdays and weekends. Pray that suffering will end. You should pray that your suffering will end. The Apostle Paul had some kind of ailment, and he said, I prayed three times that I'd be delivered from it, and he was told no. You remember this passage? I think it's in the Bible. But do you want my re- Every time I read that, do you know what I always think? Oh, really, you pray three times? Really, that's kind of topped that out for you? That, I prayed three times before noon, when, I'm just, when I had a bad breakfast. You know, and three times Paul, but he understood what was going on. So first of all, if you have suffering going on, pray that it would end. That's an appropriate prayer. Lord, the world is broken. This ought not to be. Would you please uh, reverse it? Second, pray that you would endure in it. That you would have the strength by the Spirit to not be crushed by the weight of it. Some of us are really enduring some tough stuff. And that's a, a, a prayer. God, I don't have the strength to endure it. You have given me more than I can handle. Who's heard that quote? I've got to mention this. God never gives you more than you can handle. Not in your Bible. God routinely gives you more than you can handle because he wants us prayerfully dependent on the power of the Spirit. That's the idea, is to make us like Christ. And if he only gives me what I can handle, I'm never going to be like Christ. I'm going to just be more like me. So, Lord, you've given me more than I can handle. How? I, I don't have what I need to endure it. Please provide what I need. How he provides for those that might be a friend that helps. Might be he provide, provides you financially or physically. Who knows what he's going to do. But coming to the Lord and say, Lord, give me uh, what I need to be able to endure this. Final prayer in that. Lord, I don't know why you're doing this. Uh, if You should pray your opinions about your suffering. Anybody enjoy suffering? Not me? Read the Psalms. Constant, nonstop gripes and complaints about God bringing difficulty in this. It's fantastic. So tell God what you're thinking. He already knows. You may as well be honest. God, this is lame. However, if I'm going to have to go through this, would you make me more like Jesus? So that's a worshipful prayer. I already know, God, what you're up to. Show me what it means in the midst of this stuff for, to be made more like Jesus. What does that mean? Because that's the goal. I want to at least experience the goal of it. So the goal of endurance is to be made like Christ, and those are some of the ways we can pray through uh, difficulty. Final thing is glory. Everyone wants glory. 
Why does everyone want glory? Is because we have been made in the image of God, and God is a glory-seeking God because He's God. Having been made in the image of God, one of the fundamental elements of the human experience is we want to experience glory. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, in sin, we want to experience glory separated from God. But we want to experience glory. So here's what we have to understand in our suffering. The question is this. Not whether or not you... want to have glory, the question you uh, need to wrestle with is when do you want your glory? Do you want your glory here and now? It's temporary, it's fading, and not everybody will see it. Or do you want glory that lasts forever? Then we'll take our glory then. And if we're going to take our glory then, then today we say, I want to be glory, I want to experience glory like Jesus did, which begins with suffering. Suffering always precedes Glory.